Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to St. Matthew's. For those of you who are able, please stand. Psalm 100 opens this way. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship him with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We've got at least three songs to sing today, and we'll start this morning with, O God, our Father. Please join in. Please be seated. And I'll lead us in prayer as we get our service underway. The psalmist teaches us to pray. Search us, our God. Know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Well, a very warm welcome to you all. Uh, it's great to see everybody here today. What a beautiful day it is outside. And it's always a good day to come together as God's people like this, uh, knowing that as we listen to his word written in the Bible, we're listening to God himself. 
As we pray, we're praying to the one who rules everything and who welcomes our prayers. As we come together to encourage one another, we're doing something incredibly significant. Uh, Many of us, for many of us, this is a habit every week. Uh, I just wanted to remind you of the wonder of what's taking place here as we come together. God has been transforming us, not because of anything that we've done that's special, but just because he loves us into being his people. And we come together to encourage one another to keep following him and living lives of thankfulness to him. Uh, For guests, uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. My name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here, and we love having guests. Uh, We trust you'll really appreciate what happens during the the service and that you'll have the time and the inclination to come and join us over morning tea, which is served across the courtyard. Lots of great things to look forward to this morning. Uh, Pete Kerr will be speaking to us. Um, I've lost it. It says that uh, Mark's gospel is the story that changes everything. And uh, we're getting towards the end of that story in Mark chapter 10, and we hear one of the most famous statements of Jesus there, where he says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's had a massive impact on the whole trajectory of the human race that Jesus came and did that. And it also shapes who we are and more and more want to become as we follow the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, We'll also have a time of prayer. Uh, Amongst other things, we'll be praying for Lydia Scullard as she returns to South Africa after some years here at St Matthew's. And she certainly leaves with our blessing and our prayers. Uh, We'll also be praying about the ongoing conflict uh, in the Middle East. Um, Thankful of... A little breakthrough there with the ceasefire that's taking place, as well as sharing the Lord's Supper as we close. Right now, I'm going to ask you to get back on your feet again, if that's okay, uh, because we're going to now, please stand, uh, we're going to now uh, declare what it is that we believe about God, uh, about the difference that he makes in this fallen world. So please join me as we recite the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Lord, in view of your goodness... And greatness, give us clean hands and deep love from the heart for each other. And may your spirit work through us and in us, so great glory comes to you. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ceasefire in the Middle East. And we thank you for the return of hostages to their homes and for the arrival of aid in Gaza. We continue to pray, though, for lasting peace. 
not just in the Middle East, but across the world. We ask that you will have mercy on this broken and divided world, that you will banish the spirit that makes for war, that you will give wisdom to those in authority, that you would rescue the captives, shield those in danger, and bind up the brokenhearted. For those fighting for justice, may they be strengthened by your grace. For those walking in darkness, may the light of your face shine upon them. This morning, Lord, we want to pray for the outcome of our mission appeal, for the support of our mission partners around the world, and we name each of them today, praying for Neville and Kathy Naden, for Naomi Island, for Andrew and Michelle Bloomer, for David and Michelle Fauchon, for Marty and Jenny Ford, for the Box Hill Church Plant, St James Church Barala, for the Anglican Aid Project in Burundi, for Heal Africa and their work, and for the work of Anka RE in local schools. We pray that the fundraising target will be met so they are well supported next year. And we pray, Father, that each of them may be used by you in ways that are effective and productive for the work of the gospel, for the building of your church, for the growth of your kingdom, and for the message of salvation to come to those who are lost. And Lord, we thank you this morning for our senior minister, Bruce. We thank you for the opportunity he has this week uh, to take a break uh, from his responsibilities here at St. Matthew's. We pray that his time away will be restful, that you'd strengthen him with the power of your spirit as he leads us into the Christmas period and into next year. We pray that you'll return him safely to us for next Sunday. And Father, we thank you that uh, some of the dads and kids from St Matthew's have been able to get away on a camp this weekend. Notwithstanding the wet weather yesterday, we thank you for fun, for fellowship, for food that they've enjoyed and for a bright morning this morning. We pray for their safety on this final day. We pray that all would come home feeling encouraged in their faith, carrying a sure knowledge that they are known and loved by you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we thank you for our years of fellowship with Lydia, and for her faithful, thoughtful, prayerful contributions to our life together. We give you thanks that she is able to return to be with family in South Africa, thankful for her time serving with Uniting Care here in Sydney, and we pray that you will guard and guide her all the days of her life. Amen. And Lord, we ask that your glory would be our goal in all that we do, think and say. We pray that you will fill our hearts with grace and love to be ready in all situations to show your love and to share the good news of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We've now got some church news. Welcome to church. It's good to be together again. And if it's your first time here, we're glad to have you with us. We'd love to welcome you properly and it'll be a big help if you can take a connection card like this one that you'll find under the seat in front of you uh, give it a quick scan, say hello, and we'll be in touch with you this week. Welcome. It's so good to have you here. A uh, quick reminder about our last morning of prayer for women this year. Coming up next Saturday. 
Come early for coffee and chats from 7.30 before a tight hour of prayer together. If you've got a packed day ahead, rest assured that it'll all be wrapped up by 9am sharp. We believe in a God who listens and who loves to hear from us. If you've never been, why not get along next weekend and join in praying to our great God. Also coming up next weekend is our traditional Advent service, 8am, next Sunday morning. The Christmas season often gets so crowded, you can almost lose sight of our Lord Jesus. The Advent service is a great way to bring him back into full focus. There'll be a wonderful program of Bible readings and prayer with a beautiful selection of music and song to hear and to join in with, led by the fabulous 8am music team with some special guests on strings from other services. I'll also be giving a short reflection on what you could call one of the very first Christmas carols, written even before Jesus was born. It's the song of Zechariah recorded in Luke's Gospel, a song that gives strength to our hope for the future and purpose for the here and now. So the Advent service next Sunday at 8 o'clock is a perfect opportunity to slow down, to withdraw for a moment from the crowds and the rush. It offers the chance to remember God's first coming as a humble child and to prepare ourselves for that great day when he will come again in all his glory. We would love to see you there. In the meantime, have a great week trusting and following the Lord Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Can you believe it's time for Advent again? Goes quick. Uh, today is the last Sunday in our Mission Support Month. If you are new or visiting today, um, this is something that we do at this time every year in order to raise next year's funds for the nine different mission partners that we support. If you've been here the last few weeks or you grabbed one of the brochures last Sunday, you're going to know that we're looking to raise $150,000 this year. So far, we've heard uh, about our newest mission partner, St. James Church out in Barella, uh, and the great work that they're doing to reach the nations who've come to our shores. We've also got to hear from Naomi Island up in the NT, uh, doing uh, kids' work with uh, our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And then last week, we had Chris Mann here sharing about his church plant out at Box Hill. Wasn't that an exciting opportunity to hear about? Great to have him here and to meet him for the first time. At other points this year, we've also heard about Anchor RE uh, doing work, scripture work in the schools locally. We've heard from Neville and Kathy Naden, as well as Andrew and Michelle Bloomer out in Austria. But as our mission support month draws to a close, I'm just going to uh, draw our attention to a, a few other key mission partners uh, that we support. Firstly, you may know that we have two mission partners in Africa. Heal Africa in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Anglican Aid Food Project in Burundi. Now, those two countries are literally neighbours with each other. What you might not know is that these are two of the poorest countries in the world. I'm told that Congo is ranked fifth and Burundi is ranked the second poorest in the world. 80% of Burundian people rely on subsistence agriculture and only 5%
have access to electricity. Isn't that incredible? 5%. Now, clearly we can't do everything, but we can do something. And in the case of these two partners, that looks like medical aid in the Congo and food assistance in Burundi. And both of those two uh, are accompanied by Christian ministry. Secondly, I'm also wanting to highlight the work of David and Michelle Forshen, who are working with SIM, serving in mission. David is New South Wales and ACT Regional Ministry Director, which basically means he is responsible for raising up and sending out missionaries across the world. This year alone, Dave has helped to raise up and send out 18 workers for short and long-term mission work, and there's 12 more in the pipeline who are getting ready to go. So in supporting the fortunes, we're really supporting gospel ministry with a, with a global scope. Super strategic. Finally, uh, the last partner to mention is Marty and Jenny Ford, who are working out of Southeast Asia. Marty is actually a former St. Matt's minister, if you didn't know that. Uh, he's currently the principal of Evangelical Theological College in Singapore. We heard last week from Chris Mann about church planting. Well, the Fords are kind of involved in a, in a college plant. It was started six years ago in response to the need for more gospel-centered training in Southeast Asia. And since it began, ETC has sent up and uh, has trained up and sent out 16 pastoral workers and three missionaries, so eight, uh, 19 ministry graduates in total. One of those missionaries they've sent out has actually already founded their own Bible school in Myanmar. Isn't that crazy? The college has currently got 43 students enrolled in a degree program, and uh, so over the coming years, the coming decade or so, those 43 graduates, uh, who knows how God is gonna, is gonna bring glory to his name throughout that region. It's a wonderful gospel opportunity for us to get behind. As Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Those engaged in gospel ministry here at home, as well as around the globe, actually can't do that without the support and generosity of churches like us and people like you. Our vision, as you should know, is to grow God's church through the gospel Backing our mission partners with prayer and with financial support is one of the key ways that we seek to do that, isn't it? Will you partner with us to that end? Grab a brochure. They should have been sitting on the chairs as you came in. There's a stack of them at the back if you missed it. And there's two cards in the brochure I want to just bring to your attention. One uh, supporting our mission partners and one for general giving. Both of these forms are important, and I want to encourage you to take a look at them. Uh, if you missed Bruce's message last week talking about why giving to the local church is important, I'll encourage you to track that down and have a listen to it. And you can pop both of those cards into the envelope provided. You can post it. You can return it to the office. You can drop it in the Lord's Treasury box at the back. Alternatively, if you prefer to do things electronically, you can jump online, there's the giving tab, we'll take you straight to all the details that you need. Uh, you can set up a direct debit or a one-off credit card transfer. Uh, in the wake of last week's sermon on the rich young ruler, 
my growth group had a great discussion uh, during the week on how not to hold onto our money as tightly as the rich young ruler did. It's a great discussion. We decided that one of the key markers was what we do when opportunities to give come up. What do we do? Is our instinct to, to give when the chance arises, or do we tend to assume that someone else will do it? If you've been on the fence about whether to give to this or not, or how much to give, now is the time to decide. If you've got any questions, Bruce is on leave, so I'm sure Pete is going to love to answer any of those questions for you. We are going to sing our second hymn together now, and this will also be our collection hymn. Please stand and sing together. Good morning, everybody. Our, our reading this morning continues in Mark. It's in chapter 10, verses 32 to 45, and you'll find that on page 1,100, 
1014 in the Bibles in the pews, page 1014. Now this reading continues on from last week when we heard about the rich young ruler and how <laughs> the people were, put, to put it in the vernacular, gobsmacked about what Jesus had taught. Uh, and so they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He said, ask. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? Yeah, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all in church. Uh, this morning, praise God for this wonderful day, and praise God that we can be together like this. It's wonderful. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to get to work and look at this wonderful, wonderful passage. It is a great passage. Uh, our dear Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that we can be together as your people. We thank you for your word, that we can read it, we can learn from it, and we can live differently. Uh, so, Father, I pray you'd be with us now that we might be changed for your glory. Would you help us to see Jesus and want to follow him more closely as his people? And Father, we ask these things that you might get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, so I'm sure like most of us, <clears throat> I've had a number of eye-opening moments in my life. And one of the first was after school photos. I don't know if you remember getting school photos. I think I was in year seven Anyway, I had the photo, a few days later, I looked at the photo and it was like I realised for the first time how awful 
I mean, how awful I looked with long hair. I mean, absolute shocker, my poor mother. I, I have a physical reaction when I look at that photo, so I'm, I'm just going to get it off. So that was the first eye-opening moment for me. Another was when I was in Paris with my best mate. And uh, Chris and I, we hired bikes, as you do, and we rode ourselves around to the, to the Louvre Museum. And uh, if you've been there, you'll know it's a beautiful place. It's a big place with a big paved courtyard, a concrete paved area, and it gets really, really busy. And this day we were there, it was really, really busy. Thousands of people. And so we rode into the square, and because boys will be boys, here it is, boys will be boys, I had this urge to ride as fast as I possibly could across the courtyard. And then what I wanted to do is to skid my back tyre and just come to a, what I thought would be a cool stop. Anyway, I don't know why, boys, only thing is, see, and I didn't know this, in Europe, the front and the back brakes are reversed. <laughs> and so I rode into this courtyard, oblivious to that fact, thousands of people, wind in my hair, I squeezed what I thought were the back brakes, which in Europe turned out to be the front brakes. I became an instant Superman, <laughs> straight over the handlebars. And when I opened my eyes, I was surrounded by concerned Parisians and my one mate, who was rolling on the floor in stitches. <laughs> and he said, he said to me, seeing the Mona Lisa, ah, he said, but seeing you come off your bike was worth a trip to Europe. And you know what, he actually texted me about this yesterday, not knowing that I would be talking about it today. So anyway, <clears throat> a hair moment, a flying moment, two massive eye-opening moments for me. And <clears throat> as I pedalled through this passage in Mark 10, the verses before us, I found a few more to add to the list. Three moments, in fact, and I hope you see them, if, if not for the first time, then for the 500th time. Three eye-opening moments, moments, all incredibly significant, all potentially life-changing. And so the first moment is when we see the depths of love in Jesus' heart. I hope you see that. That's the first. The second is the moment we see the love in their hearts, and that's the disciples I'm talking about, and, and maybe you, maybe me. And the third is the moment we see the love of a changed heart. So the love in his heart, the love in their hearts, the love of a changed heart. So that's where we're going. Three moments, super significant. And can I say the first? This first one was like another over-the-handlebars moment for me, many, many years ago and again this week. It just struck me so hard to realise again what I tend to forget, and that is the relentless love for me for you, for anyone you've ever passed in the street, for people moving along the corso, for people you might have passed while doing laps in the pool or doing laps of coals, this love that Jesus has. And if you look there at verse 32, you don't need a magnifying glass. You just need a bit of mindfulness to see what Jesus is doing and why. And so you'll see there, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And so he is up front he is the vanguard. He is pressing forward. That is the image. And it is an image, I think, described here in 13 words, 13 words that confirm what I think are a thousand promises that one day a saviour would come and lead the way. 
And here we have the Lord Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe you see that and you think, well, I don't see much in that. I don't see much in, in that image at all. Well, let's just take a look here because the disciples saw much in that. They saw much in that image. And in verse 32, we are told that they were astonished while others who followed were afraid. And so they have this very strong reaction in their guts because they see what their king, what their Christ is doing. And what he's doing is heading into the hostility of Jerusalem. And this puzzles them. It bewilders them. And it puzzles them. And I'm not convinced it puzzles them because they understood the enormity of it. I'm not convinced it puzzled them because they understood that in this moment they were witnessing the start of something that would shake the foundations of eternity. A moment that would send ripples lapping up onto the shores of human hearts forever. I'm not sure that they were convinced of that. But one, some penny, a penny had dropped in some measure. They were astonished with this minimal knowledge. And I think they felt the weight of what they were seeing. But it was with this minimum knowledge, and I thought immediately about us, we have this maximum knowledge of what took place up that hill. And so if we transport ourselves back and take a mental walk up that hill and see his destination, to be there, to feel it, to see what he is doing, you find yourself, you must find yourself asking, what kind of love is this? I see my Jesus, my King, and he is not hiding, he is heading. Luke says that he resolutely set out. To what end? Well, we see what end there in verse 33. Because Jesus, he pulls his mates aside for the third time and he's very explicit with them. And he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and then will hand him over to the Gentiles because they couldn't kill him. Uh, and then the Gentiles, they will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so here we have him heading to his own funeral. Last Sunday night, when I got home from night church, I was flicking between the cricket and the Formula One. It was in Las Vegas. And what struck me about these athletes and what often strikes me about athletes is that they spend their entire lives, so we're talking countless hours, early mornings, heading toward that moment. The moment where they're either raising champagne or they're being lifted up on a podium. And then I see here the Son of Man, the glorious one of heaven, and his entire life is heading toward this moment when he will be raised up, not on a podium, but a cross. He won't be drinking champagne, he will be drinking the full wrath of God. Death is his destination, and if you're asking why, well, friend, it was to win you, to secure you. And to win you for eternity meant he had to pay for your sin entirely, which is exactly what took place at Calvary. And so Jesus is power walking here with purpose, and his purpose was to save. He is moving at pace because I believe he sees your face like he sees mine. And I hope you know that. And I hope this is an over-the-handlebars moment for you if you're hearing it for the first time or the 500th time. 
that you realise again what we often forget, that no matter who you are, you are worthy of his love and his forgiveness. It is extraordinary. What else is extraordinary in this passage is the level of detail in these verses. I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus' prediction here of what will happen is so accurate of what did happen that this little section has become a point of contention and as potentially a carefully crafted addition after the fact because it is so spot on. And if you struggle with the supernatural, you do need to search for back alley ways of explaining something as supernatural as this away, such an accurate prediction. But the question I immediately ask is, if I was one of the disciples editing this later on, surely I would have edited out some of my clumsiness. But they don't do that. And what's sad is not just that uh, liberal scholars uh, would, would ignore that thought or even other passages, like passages from Isaiah 700 years earlier, very, very accurate. It's, I think what's sad is that taking scissors to the text which is essentially what happens. Taking scissors to the, de- uh, to the text, I think, chips away at the depths of Jesus' very intentional love in this moment. It starts to strip it away. Jesus knew what was going to happen. It didn't surprise him. It was planned that Jesus would go through hell, and he did go through hell to save you from hell. I read this, and I think, doesn't this just take your breath away? Every single time you hear it. You know, even to this day, when I hear this tune, and you might have heard this tune, but when I hear this tune, I am transported back to a time of pure joy, Saturday afternoon, chasing the ice cream truck, it just warms me every time. While I, was playing, while I was playing this yesterday on Saturday, one of my neighbours came to the window. And I thought, it is such a familiar tune for many of us, as is the gospel. My question is, does it warm you? Does it transport you into the arms of your saviour, into his love, every time you hear it? This is a classic passage. And so that's the first eye-opening moment when you see the love in his heart. And now let me give you a couple more and more briefly. The second, you see the love in their hearts. And so Jesus shares what he's about to do. And then in verse 35, James and John come along and they share what they'd like him to do. We see it there, verse 35. Pardon me, I've skipped on. He says, teacher, they said, what... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. That is an interesting way to start a prayer. I I call it, I've done it before, I call it taking a demanding tone straight to the throne, which is what they do. Maybe you've done it, I've certainly done it. That's what these boys do. Anyway, Jesus is very gracious and he says in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Which is kind of an ironic question considering Jesus, he is about to do everything they will ever need. He is about to do that. He's about to do everything they will ever need. He's about to do everything you will ever need. At the cross, all of our needs are met. Anything on top of that is an extravagance. 
And I just find it really helpful to remember that because sometimes I get this, this gospel amnesia and I forget how much I've already been given. And so anyway, they asked this question and Jesus answered and then they replied in verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and the other in your, at your left in your glory. And so if we look at the scene here, Jesus has just shared the weight on his heart. They come to him and they immediately share the weight on their heart and they're not listening, this would be like sitting with a friend and sharing with your friend that your mother has just died. And then your friend responds, so what's for dinner? Like it's that kind of insensitive response. And it's a revealing response, I think, of what is a common collision of purposes, not only in the Gospels, but in in common culture. Is Jesus' mission and motives sacrifice, suffering, service, serving, their mission and motives, often my own, self-serving, success, position. They want to be with Jesus in the wonderful without much thought about the costly stuff. It's like saying, can we play snakes and ladders, but just give me all the ladders, just give me all the life ladders. Just about going up, not down. Just give me the ladders. And is it possible that I carry these desires in my heart? Yes, it is. Do I pray small prayers that things will go well for me, that my life will be neat and comfortable and easy? Yes, I absolutely do. I do. If I want to cut these fellas some slack, and I do, I do it only because... If you read Matthew's account of this same event, we actually learn that it's actually their Jewish mother who nudges them forward to ask for this. And now, I don't have anything against Jewish mothers, but if they're anything like my mother, they want the best for their kids. So she pushes them forward, but wants the best for her kids, but so does Jesus. And what he's teaching here is that the way to glory is up a slightly different path to what they think. And what she thinks, it is the path of service. And so he says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Now, sometimes Jesus will answer our prayer requests like that. Not because he's belligerent, but because he, he knows what's best. Anyway, they, they, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? Many of you will know this, but this reference to a cup, of course, is an Old Testament reference. It is a loaded reference to this cup. The cup that Jesus will drink is the cup that is filled with God's fury towards sin. Now, despite modern culture's attempt to sweep sin under the rug of cultural pleasantries, friends, sin is real. God's fury toward it is real. And it filled the cup that touched the lips of our Saviour and went through every limb of our Lord. Now, I'm a bit of a germaphobe, (laughs) if you don't know me, and so I don't like sharing cups at the best of times. Well, praise God, this is a cup that will never touch my lips or yours if you trust in the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus' question, can you drink from my cup, I think it's... It's meant to scuttle their thinking, but it doesn't do that. They say, yes, we can. And Jesus very gently responds, well, you will drink from the cup 
that it's going to be a different cup. It is the cup of persecution. That is what he's referring to, or trouble in life. And see, Jesus takes away our punishment from sin, but he doesn't take away what the path of a disciple, which can be hard. And so that's the current love in their heart, this glory position. They're still trying to figure this discipleship stuff out. One step forward, two steps back. And that's okay because Jesus is a very gentle teacher. He is a wonderful teacher and he pulls them aside. And this is the last thing I'll say. He opens their eyes to understand what the love of a changed heart looks like. So there's, there's the love in their heart and then he shows them what the love of a changed heart looks like. And you see it in this wonderful passage here, verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be, become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And now if, if you are like me, if you know me, you know I'm a simple fella. I, I like my coffee strong, I like my cornflakes cold, and I like my directions very clear. And Jesus here is very clear. His people are to operate by principles that are vastly different from the culture around us. We are to stand out. And if we had time for a quiz, I'd ask you to shout out the four words that make this crystal clear, if you've seen them. But I'll pop them out on the screen. Verse 42, Jesus says, Not so with you. Not so with you. You are to be different. Because you are new and you are changed. In other words, we are to be aliens concerned with values of an alternative society that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God where worldly ideas of status and privilege have no place within its walls. The Gentiles lorded over people, not so with you. And Jesus is able to say not so with you because it was not so with him. That is what verse 45 is saying. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life. And friends, we are in a Congo line behind Christ, the servant. In 1944, some of you might have heard this story, there were um, a few diggers and they were digging a trench in Tobruk. I'm sure many of you know Tobruk was a very strategic town in the war. And so they were digging and they had their shirts off and an English captain came over. And he came over to the diggers and he looked down at them in the trench and he said to them, I've heard that you Australians are an undisciplined lot, but surely you know enough to salute an officer. So down in the trench, one of the diggers, he stops and he stands against his shovel and he surveys the captain, the English captain, and then without a word, he turns his back, he puts on his shirt, turns back to the captain, showing for the first time his epaulets which actually signify that he is not a, a mere nameless digger, he is a major. And so the blood just drains from the Englishman's face, he goes completely white, and then hear what this one writer said on reflection. He said, it would have just been simply inconceivable that one who carried so high a rank would be found doing something so lowly as digging. 
and yet here he is. And friends, is that not a picture of Jesus? The major in the mud, the king in the trenches. And what he did in those trenches is captured beautifully in verse 45. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And now, maybe you don't know this, but if you step outside, you go for a swim in this ocean, you go and drink coffee at these cafes, you play in the parks, you look around you, you'd almost never think that people are being held spiritually captive. Ransom? Everything looks wonderful, free and fun. But the Bible says people will die and face judgment unless a price is paid for sin. And that price was paid in Jesus' blood and it secures your soul. He was the ultimate servant and he wants us to see him. He wants us to see him before we see ourselves. And so before you pick up a shovel, before you go off this week and pick up a shovel, as it were, position yourself at the cross. Position yourself at the cross to contemplate his daily love. Contemplate daily his love. The price he paid. Ask him to serve you. Ask the Holy Spirit to change you, to give you a new heart if you've never prayed that before. That's before you pick up a shovel And the beauty of all of this is that I don't need to sit here and tell you to pick up a shovel and go out and serve because changed people want to serve. That's the beauty of it. People who daily come before the throne of grace are compelled to serve in whatever capacity that looks like. In the church, in your lives, our new identity compels us to serve. Not for position, but knowing that we already have it. As children of the living God, it is just what we do. And many of you do that, friends. And we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for you. But if it's not what you do, what might be helpful for you and for all of us is this week, go to Ephesians chapter 3, scroll down there or push down to uh, verse 14 and pray that prayer that Paul prays, verse 14 to 19. It is a prayer of reorientation. And I'm going to pray it now for all of us before we stand and respond with our final hymn. And let me pray this, and then we'll stand and respond together in song. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we kneel before you. We stand before you. We come before you. And we ask that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Would you help us all to be rooted and established in his love? Would you help us all, all of us, and some of us for the first time, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that we we might want to serve you and to serve each other with our lives. Show us how we can serve in the church. Present us with opportunities to do so. And Father, we ask all of these things knowing that you hear us and that you love us. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Please, if you'd like to and you're able, please stand. We're going to sing our final hymn together.
Uh, friends, we're about to share together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you'll need one of these little communion packs. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and someone from the back will bring that forward. So Lynn certainly needs one here. Way over in the back corner. Okay, and uh, for those of you who are new to St Matthew's, as part of our Lord's Supper service, we use these little things and it will really help a lot if you take the, the clear seal off the top of that little pack. Uh, so you've got the bread available. Uh, and then if you take the foil seal off. And if you're needing some help, I'm sure someone near will offer that help. It's a good day to practice service, isn't it? Actually, as you think about someone coming in as a guest, maybe someone like our brother Michael Wu, who grew up in mainland China, never exposed to the Christian faith until later in his life, uh, I guess there'd be a lot of things you find strange in the customs that uh, are part of a service like ours here this morning. Uh, but I think, I think our service of the Lord's Supper would be right up the top of the strangest in, in some ways. Uh, that 2,000 years on, we take a little bit of bread and a tiny little cup just to help us remember so that we're, we're never guilty of, 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 of forgetting the extraordinary thing that took place when Jesus went to the cross. But it does need some explanation, doesn't it? This, um, this ceremony that is a part of our, our gatherings. Uh, it's such a helpful thing, isn't it? To, to go back to the night before Jesus went to the cross and to what it was that he did there with his disciples in helping them understand. We've heard about their journey to Jerusalem. It was hard for them to understand. And I sympathise with them. It's, in some ways, it's such an odd thing that took place there. And yet it was the most magnificent thing that's taken place in history since the creation of the world. Uh, that the Son of God should become one of us and should go up to Jerusalem, bearing with the, 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 uh, the folly, the sin of his disciples, all out of love, all out of love for us. So friends, uh, this, is, this is the way the scriptures describe what took place that night before uh, Jesus went to the cross. It says, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, we're going to take the bread and eat it and we'll drink from the cup. Uh, but first, let's, let's pray, recognising that it was our sin which Jesus carried on the cross. Uh, we fall short of our own standards, let alone God's standards. It's a, and a very fitting thing that we do. So please join me in this prayer of confession. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts 
and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us, restore those who repent, according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And here's this reassurance the Apostle John wrote many years later. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'll let us in one further prayer. We thank you, our Father, that in your love you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may spiritually be partakers of his body and blood. So brothers and sisters, let, let's take and eat this bread, remembering that Christ died for us and feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Let's take the cup in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. Let's pour out our hearts in thanks to God as we join in this thanksgiving prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Would you please stand as we prepare to close our service, uh, remembering that invitation if you're a guest particularly to come and join us for the morning tea and coffee and uh, something else to munch on. Uh, and some conversation, good conversation. We'd love to have you join us. But as we close, shall we uh, bless one another with these words? May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, 
the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Amen.